How many of you were not familiar with Pray First or the 21-day fast before showing up tonight? There's just a couple of people. Say, hey, what's going on? <laughs> in Daniel chapter 10, verse 2 through 3, it says, in, on that occasion, I, Daniel, spent three weeks as though... Let's, I'm going to read it in uh, this translation. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine, touched my lips, and I used no lotions until the three weeks were over. That is the, the pattern we use for Daniel fast, where Daniel said he didn't avoid all foods, but he chose to choose something. And we have said, as a church body, we're asking people to consider letting go of something for 21 days, whether you choose to follow his example and avoid sweets, meats, and some people say sweets, wheat, sweets meats, and wheats, or something like that, just that we're going to take a time, and each year we take time, and as a church body, we focus on prayer. It's not simply about avoiding a certain food or a certain type of food, but it's about uh, bringing our body into submission to what we choose and how many recognize that our body asks for a lot of things and some of those things aren't appropriate ever some of them are just fine as long as they are in balance but we're taking this time where we're going to uh, join together as a church body and do that so in keeping with that, I want to talk tonight about prayer, since as a church body, we are praying throughout uh, this time of 21 days more than usual. And Matthew 21, verse 12 through 13 comes to mind. It says, Then Jesus went into the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those selling doves, and he declared to them, It is written, My house will be called a house of prayer. But you are making it a den of robbers. Jesus went to the New Testament church. In that sense, it was more the New Testament temple. And as we can see, he was disgusted by what he saw. Now, a lot of times, I have seen and heard people who have used this example as the woes of business and capitalism. But that isn't the case. If we look at Proverbs 31, how many of you know a little bit about Proverbs 31? You ever heard the virtuous woman, the Proverbs 31 woman? The Bible talks about the Proverbs 31 woman and all of her virtues. And it's interesting that when it gets in there and starts talking about it, in verse 16 it says she considers a field and buys it. And from her prophets... She plants a vineyard. In verse 18, it says she inspects her merchandise and sees that it's good. In verse 24, it says she makes linens and sells them. And then it goes on to say that many women have done well, but you have exceeded them all. I don't think that the Bible is anti-business. I know that it isn't. But there was something going on in the temple that absolutely repulsed Jesus. And notice he went to the money changers. How many of you guys have ever made an international trip and had to exchange your money? If you've never done this, there is, 
it, there is something you may have never incur, in, encountered before, and that is the fluctuation of exchange rates. If you've never had to deal with exchange rates, then this is a new concept to you. But on some days, your money buys a lot of money. And on other days, it doesn't. There can be times where you go and you say, oh, I want to exchange my dollars for pesos right now because right now the exchange rate is at 1 to 11. But then at another time, it might be 1 to 9. You, for every $1 you give, you only get 9. Whereas a week ago, it was 11. And you can see how that's like a 20% gain on everything. Not exactly 20, but that's ballparking. So here's what was happening in the temple. The temple, without any instructions from God on the matter, had decided, let's create a currency for the temple. People will, will come seeking forgiveness, and the Old Testament tells them they need to buy sacrifices, they need to purchase a, a dove or a lamb, but let's make it necessary for them to only make that purchase in our currency. Okay? Then let's mark up the currency. How many of you have ever gotten frustrated trying to buy a water in a sports stadium? You go in there, and there's giant signs. There's these, like, Nazis at the front who are, like, checking your bags and making sure you don't bring in water. Why? Because when you get there, they're going to charge you $7 for it. And you could get it for 50 cents across the street. How many of you have ever been bothered by that? Imagine if communion with God was what you were trying to get. Imagine if forgiveness from your sins was what you were striving for and you were having to exchange your money at an inflated price and then buy from certain vendors with only that money at an inflated price. That is what repulsed Jesus. He looked and he said, I see people who are seeking my face. People who are seeking to make sacrifice for their sins, to be right with me. And instead what, of, of having access to me, I see that you, are, you have corrupted this system of sacrifices and you have found a way to extort money from them. And Jesus says, that's not what my church is supposed to be about. My church is not supposed to be about extorting people. He says, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer. What is prayer? In its simplest form, prayer is communion with God. That is what the Bible is about. It's not. As I was preparing the message today, I wasn't originally going to talk so much about the money exchangers, but I felt like God led me there. And, and I think I know why. It's because today's society is attacking. There, there is, my kids, we watch 
family-friendly movies with them. Every time there's a business person in the family-friendly movies, we know he's going to be the villain. If there is a successful business in the... You know what? Somehow, before the end of the thing, it's going to turn out that they're pumping raw sewage into this place and that the person is totally... And I just realized, you know what? The devil is trying to attack the Christian. God says that the wealth of the wicked are stored up for the righteous. Then he teaches that the righteous woman works. There are people here that... God has put a calling on your life to be a successful business person and to fund the kingdom of God. It is not wicked. It is not inappropriate to make profit. But it is inappropriate to extort people. And Jesus was exceptionally offended when that extortion was taking place in his name as people sought communion and right standing with him. So that was just a little freebie side trail. Now we're going to come back. Prayer is communion with him. We were made for communion. I... If you come on a regular Wednesday night, you will hear me quote this scripture often because it is quite possibly one of my favorite passages of scripture. And that's Acts chapter 17 where Paul explains to a group of people who don't know who God is or what he did, who God is and what he's done and why he did it. Let's take a look. Verse 24, then The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and boundaries of their land. God did this. So that. God did what? What is the this he's referring to? The this was creating the entire world, then creating all of us from two people. He did all of that. So that. This seems to me like a pretty important so that. He says he did all of that. He created the world. He created you and I. So that we would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from us. Do you realize it is God's desire that we reach out to him in prayer? I have several kids, six to be precise. My oldest is 16, my youngest is nine. Now, how many of you guys have kids or ever had kids? Maybe they're out of the house now. You can probably attest to what I'm about, the observation I'm about to make. My nine-year-old, and even more so when he was younger, has a lot of communion with us, us being my wife and I. In fact, he shows up at 6.30 in the morning almost every day, up at the bedside. I get plenty of communion. My 16-year-old, on the other hand, sometimes I have to go find him. I'm like coming into his bedroom like, hey, so what's going on? He's like, what, Dad? What? What? 
And I'm like, well, just wondering what's going on. What do you mean, what? What? I'm like, I just talk, man. Just what's going on? Why? Because as a father, I desire communion with him. And if he isn't coming to find me, I'm kind of like, hey, I'm missing out, man. I'm going into his room. I'm looking for him. That is the picture the Bible paints of God with us. He is our heavenly father. He created us with the purpose and desire that we would then reach out for him. That we would seek to have communion with him. Matthew chapter 6 verse 7 and 8 I think is a verse that has messed up a few people's prayer life. This is what it says. And when you pray, do not babble on like pagans, for they think by their many words that they will be heard. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Now, I think a lot of people have read that verse and been like, well, if he knows what I need, I don't have to say anything. If God knows what you need, before you ask, why did he ask us to pray? Why did he instruct us to say, for example, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Why am I asking that God's will be done here on earth if he knows what his will is better than I do? Has anyone ever wondered that? You see, what he's talking about, he says, don't make a big show. Don't think that, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever seen, and, I, and if this is a habit you have, I understand. But if you've ever seen someone whose, like, tone of voice, vocabulary, and even accent changes when they start to pray. It's like, okay, so it's time for dinner. Dear Heavenly Father. And then they go into an entire different thing. God says, you know, that's not needed. Don't think that because of the verboseness of your prayer, you are going to be heard. The Bible says that we have the confidence that when we pray, he hears us. And it doesn't depend on the vocabulary, the accent, or the verbose nature of our prayer. He is already listening. What that scripture is saying is, hey, he knew... He wants you to pray, but you're not going to impress him with the verboseness. All he wants is that you engage with him. John Wesley, famous theologian, made an interesting statement. He said, it seems that God is limited by our prayer life. He can do nothing for humanity unless someone asks him. Now, I would never quote John Wesley and then say anything he says we got to believe. Let's go to the scripture remembering what he just said. For Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they, that being humanity, may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and over the livestock and over the wild animals and over all the creatures that move on the ground. In chapter uh, 8 of Psalms, 
In verse 4, it says, What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than angels and crowned them. What does a crown indicate? What does a crown indicate? A crown is for royalty. What does royalty represent? What is the, the, the true standing behind? Royalty is those in authority. Royalty represents authority. He gave them crowns with glory and honor. You made them, look at it here, he makes it clear, verse 6. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. What are the works of God's hands? What is the work of God's hands? All things, earth. He made us rulers over the works of his hand. And you put everything where? Under their feet. I think it's very interesting in Luke chapter 4. You remember the story when Jesus went down and was baptized by John and then the Holy Spirit came down and descended like a dove? And this is the moment when the devil finally knew for sure that Jesus was the Messiah. And it's interesting that there's a scripture that says, if, if the devil had understood, it says, if the, if the rulers, but it's referring to the, this, the demonic rulers, if they had understood what they were doing, they would not have crucified Jesus. Why? Because if the devil would have understood that by nailing Jesus to the cross, he was putting nails in his own coffin, he wouldn't have done it. But he thought he was making progress. But this is when he found out, knew for sure, absolutely, what he'd been dreading ever since the garden when Jesus, when God said, I am sending a Messiah and he will crush your head. And Satan had been trying to stop that for thousands of years. And when he finally discovered the very first thing he did was follow Jesus into the desert where Jesus was in a supernatural fast. And then the Bible tells us the story of how Satan tried to tempt Jesus. And what did he try to tempt Jesus with? Right here, it says, verse 5, Then the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. I will give you authority over all these kingdoms and their glory, he said, for it has been relinquished to me, and I can give it to anyone I wish. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. We just read in Genesis how that authority was given to Adam and Eve. We read here that it had been relinquished to Satan at some point. We read later how Jesus went and took that authority back when he raised from the dead. Who did he give it to then? Us. Us. Now, if the devil finally had his chance to get Jesus, do you think he bluffed? I don't think so. 
I think he pulled out his biggest card and said, hey, that authority that I know you didn't want me to have, I'll give it to you if you just worship me. And Jesus didn't fall for it because he had a better plan on how to get that authority back and then give it to you and I. And I'm saying all of this because until we understand the authority that God has given us, we don't understand why God asks us to pray. When we look in Scripture and we see that the devil had that authority, but then God took it, then we understand that, yes, God knows what I'm going to say before I say it, but God has still ordained that I need to speak it. Do you, do you hear that? We have to understand. God said, when, when Jesus was instructing his disciples, he said to them, this is how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is the difference between the way his will is done on earth than it is in heaven? If they were already the same, why would Jesus have said, pray that? There is a difference between how God's will is enacted in heaven than it is on earth. In heaven, the dominion is God's. On earth, he gave that dominion to you and I. So when Jesus said, pray that your will be done on earth the same way that it's done in heaven, what he's saying is, pray and declare, speak with your mouths the things that are his will so they can be done just as they are already done in heaven where his dominion is from his voice. As we're praying, and listen to me, even when you don't end the sentence with amen, what you are speaking has the authority behind it that God has given you. Oh, man. Some of us get it, kind of, because we get this whole th concept when I pray, but then we forget that my mouth works even when I'm not praying. And we're around declaring the, all kinds of stuff. And then we think that it only matters if I, if, if I say, dear God, and amen. No. No, it, it's important what I say. Matthew chapter 6, 9 through 10 says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 through 15 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Oh, I am excited. And I want to... 
I want to encourage you throughout this 21 days and beyond. Remember that when we pray, we aren't just praying so that God can hear us because God knows what we're going to say. We are praying and declaring things because that is how God ordained that our authority would be enacted here on earth. So, as we enter in and as we draw near to God these 21 days and beyond, I just encourage you, think about what you're saying. Seek God's will. When you see a situation and you know what God's will is for that situation, then you declare it. Because it's interesting to realize what God desires is not automatically happening. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. I'm going to close with this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. What does God desire? He desires that everyone come to repentance and that not wanting anyone to perish. If I can find a scripture anywhere that references anyone ever perishing and not receiving repentance, I have just proven that what God wants doesn't happen automatically. And those scriptures sadly are there. We have to recognize that just because God desires something doesn't mean it automatically happens. And that's good news for you. Because a lot of us have been going around seeing things happen in our life. Well, I guess this is what God wanted for me. Not necessarily. He gave us free will. He gave us dominion. And there are Lots of stuff going on. You wonder, why is there evil in the world? That is not because God put it there on purpose. It is because God made us for relationship. And in order to have meaningful relationship, he gave us free will. He gave us dominion. We then handed that over to Satan. He did some dumb stuff with it. We did some dumb stuff with our free will. But he made a huge plan. The Bible says he is not slow. He's just patient. And he has a plan to bring that all back around. But we need to participate. And what we declare, what we pray, makes a difference. Say it with me. Prayer changes things. There is power in prayer. And say this with me. Say, God hears my prayers. All right. Well, let's close with some of those prayers. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the dominion that you took back from the enemy and that you gave us when you, the Bible says, took the keys to Hades from the devil and you rose from the dead. We thank you for that authority, and we ask that you're, through your Holy Spirit, you would quicken us and remind us of the things that are your will that we are to declare in our lives, in our family, in our workplace, in our bodies, Lord. We just thank you for it in Jesus' name.
We pray your blessing on each and every person here, and we rebuke the attacks of the enemy in Jesus' name. Amen.